The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Two things. First of all, tonight we're going to pray together. If you would like to be part of that, we'd love to have you. We're going to meet in the outback, not the restaurant, but our youth building back over that way. And uh, we're going to pray. You know, our, na- our world's in turmoil, our nation's in turmoil. We're launching a lot of ministries, and uh, many of you have been launched into new school years and uh, various ministries. So we're going to pray together tonight. We're going to spend one hour praying. We'd love to have you do that. We'll sing a few songs and uh, worship together and then do that. Uh, Alpha grounds folks in the foundations of the faith. If you need to be grounded in the foundation of the faith or have friends, family members, we provide you with a meal. We provide you with sitting. Uh, we make it so that uh, you can be part of that. It's a video series as well as a small group, and uh, you can be part of that any Wednesday evening. There's a table in the hallway with uh, a lot of information and ability to sign up. Lots and lots of stuff in the bulletin. Uh, We've got numerous things taking place. Look at those and respond accordingly. Acts chapter 1, we begin a brand new series this morning. We'll be here through the whole school year, so Acts chapter 1 will go all the way through the 28 chapters in the next uh, several months. Beginning in verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. All that Jesus began to do. If you write in your Bibles, underline the words, all that Jesus. This is going to be a study about Jesus' continuing work through the church. All he began to do, (coughs) excuse me, and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After suffering, he presented himself to them, that's the apostles, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. So he had to give them proof after proof that he was indeed alive. Obviously, there were question marks in their mind as to what they were seeing and experiencing. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking here in the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Father, as we embark on this new series, it's my prayer that Jesus will be honored, Jesus will be lifted up, Jesus will be seen. So we talk about the unfinished work of the church, the work that started in Acts and continues to today. Father, I pray that over the next months, this will be about you. We pray that you would uh, give us instruction this day, an application of that instruction in the name of Christ. Amen. So our entire series is called uh, Unfinished. You can see the uh, branding that we'll have for the next several months, and it's because the work of God is unfinished. We are the church. The church is birthed in the book of Acts. It continues to grow in the book of Acts, and it continues today. God has unfinished business, and we are part of that journey, and we have the opportunity to be part of that process. This morning, we look at a message I've entitled, A New Beginning. 
David Platt was the uh, pastor of, still is, in Birmingham, Alabama. Won't be for much longer. He's going to be the president of the International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist IMB. But uh, his church did a rollout on Acts, and uh, they did Acts in three minutes. I'm going to show you that video in a second. So some of you may be thinking, if they can do Acts in three minutes, why is it going to take you and the other pastors up here nine months to go through the book? I'm not sure, but you'll see it in a couple of minutes and figure it all out. So here is Acts in three minutes. You can watch this and come back in May of next year. In my former video, Theophilus, I explained the life of Christ in three minutes. Now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. After being crucified, Jesus comes back to life and hangs out with the apostles. He tells them they will receive the Holy Spirit and be his witnesses. Jesus takes off. The disciples are gathered together on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrives. Tongues of fire hover over them, hence the logo. The disciples speak in tongues. Peter preaches the first sermon. 3,000 people get saved. God, one. Satan, zero. The end of Acts chapter 2 is written, providing mission statements for churches in the 21st century. Peter heals a lame man and preaches another sermon. Another 2,000 people get saved. Peter and John are thrown in jail. They are released. Peter and John celebrate with the other believers and pray for continued boldness. God rocks the house, literally. Ananias and Sapphira lie about their offering to the church and are struck dead. Contributions skyrocket. The apostles preach again. They are thrown in jail again. An angel releases them. They preach some more. The apostles nominate seven deacons to look after widows and orphans, including Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Stephen is stoned. Present at the stoning is a young man named Saul. We'll come back to that later. Persecution breaks out. Believers scatter. Things look bad for the church. Or do they? Wherever the believers go, they preach the word, thus fulfilling the Great Commission. God to Satan still zero. Philip meets a eunuch. The eunuch is baptized. Meanwhile, Saul is on his way to persecute believers in Damascus when Jesus appears. Saul is blinded. Saul is healed. Saul repents and begins preaching to the same people he intended to persecute. God three, Satan, well, you get the idea. Peter has a vision of unclean animals. Peter has an encounter with unclean Gentiles. He gets it. God has extended salvation to the Gentiles. Major game changer. Herod is eaten by worms. Barnabas and Paul start working together, traveling and preaching the word. By the way, I'm going to call Saul Paul now. I don't have time to explain why. Still with me? In Lystra, crowds attempt to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. They refuse to be worshipped and are stoned. The Lystrians are a tough crowd. Paul and Barnabas survive. Paul and Barnabas part ways. Paul and Silas team up. Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Paul circumcises Timothy. Paul receives a vision of a man from Macedonia asking for help. The party leaves for Macedonia. Spoiler alert, they are thrown in prison yet again. They sing. An earthquake loosens their shackles, but they stick around to lead the jailer to Christ. Yada, 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 more preaching. In Troas, Paul preaches for so long that a man falls asleep and plummets out a window to his death. The man is resurrected. Paul preaches some more. The man wishes he was dead. Paul returns to Jerusalem, where he is promptly arrested again. He is visited by the Lord, who assures him that Paul will testify about him in Rome. Paul feels better. Paul is transferred to Caesarea, where his case is caught up in red tape for two years. Finally, Paul appeals to Caesar and is put on a fast ship to Rome. The shipwrecks. Paul is bitten by a snake. At last, Paul makes it to Rome. He is placed under house arrest and continues to preach the gospel while awaiting trial. And that is all we know of Paul's story. Somewhere in there, he finds the time to write a few letters. Today, they comprise much of the New Testament. The New Testament is also where you'll find the book of Acts. The end. That will be on our website for the next several months. If you want to go back and use it to review Acts, it's there. It's available. You can use it in Bible studies or whatever. It's right there for you. But uh, Acts in three minutes. There it is. There's a walk through the Bible. There's a walk through Acts right there. So you've got it. Come back in May, and uh, we'll start a new study. 
From the very opening sentence, readers of Acts realize they are being dropped into the middle of a larger story. It's a story that begins in the Gospel of Luke, telling about the earthly ministry of Jesus, and now continues as a two-volume work in Acts. Many of you may not realize that Acts is the only sequel, the historical sequel to any Gospel. Matthew doesn't have a sequel, Mark doesn't have a sequel, John doesn't have a sequel, but this is the sequel to Luke. Luke is the author of Acts, and this is a sequel to his book. So Luke is about Jesus, and Acts is about Jesus. It's basically the same study that we're going to look at. It's a continuation of that. Acts is unique in that it's the only historical sequel. It provides us theological, cultural, historical insights into the early church. But make no mistake about it, as we look at the book of Acts, it's about God's provision, God's protections, God's propagation of his church. The focus of Acts is upon God. Jesus will be lifted up. It's the work of Jesus through Peter, the work of Jesus through Paul. It's all about Jesus. In fact, we thought about naming this series, It's All About Jesus. So we talk about the unfinished work of the church. The unfinished work of the church is what Jesus has called each of us to and to be a part of. It begins with a message. The message that Luke gives us in verses 1 through 4, it's still about Jesus. When he begins to write the Acts of the Apostle, he wants you to know that even though this is the second volume, even though this is a sequel, it's still about Jesus. Now, there's nowhere in the first four verses that it mentions Luke as the author, but we know he's the author for a number of reasons. It's clearer as we go later in the book, we'll see the sections we call the we sections, W-E, we sections. And uh, in those sections, Luke's going to write about his journeys with Paul as Paul's personal physician. Luke was a physician, and so we know that he's referring to himself in those situations. Secondly, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the first account I compose. So he's talking about this first, a former account. It refers to the Gospel of Luke, and we know that, uh, thirdly, because of this guy, Theophilus. Look at verse 1. This first account I composed, Theophilus. Theos means God. Phileo is the, the other Greek compound word there, meaning lover, lover of God. And if you go back to Luke chapter 1, what you'll find in the introduction to that Gospel, i just read to you verse 3. It says, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out in consecutive order for you, O most excellent Theophilus. And so what we find is that Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Luke focuses upon Jesus, and so does Acts. When you look at chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, what Luke wants us to know is that it's all about Jesus. He says it's about him being taken up, it's about him being resurrected. And then in verse 3, we see that he focuses upon the resurrection of our Savior. When we go through the book of Acts together, we're going to see first it's going to spotlight Peter, and then it's going to transition to Paul, but it's really not about them as much as it is about what Jesus does through them. We're also going to see that one of the prominent themes is the birth and expansion of the church, and we're going to look at that in detail for many weeks to come. We're also going to spend significant time looking at the role of the Holy Spirit. And when we come to the book of Acts, we see that the Spirit of God has a uh, prominent position in the book of Acts, and we'll be looking at that together. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Jesus says, I must be departed so the Spirit of God can be imparted to you at the point of your salvation, the end of verse, uh, that whole section, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come 
to you. And so we'll find various themes throughout the book of Acts. It's a new beginning, and it's a message that it's still about Jesus. If you look at verse 3, it says that Jesus met with the disciples. This is the time between the resurrection and ascension, and he did many things. First of all, he offered many convincing proofs of them that he was alive. I mean, when I read that, I thought, this is really about the patience of Jesus with his men. You would think after he showed up the first time in the upper room when he kind of walked through the wall and when he presented himself and when Thomas was able to look at the holes in his hands and in his side and disciples were there, well, we thought we might think that initially they saw, they believed, and they needed no reinforcement. But Jesus says, for 40 days I kept reinforcing, offering them convincing proofs that I was still alive. I mean, they may have left that upper room thinking, were we hallucinating? Was this a vision? Is this something we really saw? Did this really happen? And Jesus met with them over and over. And there's scant evidence in the Gospels. We don't read much. There's not much given to us about how often Christ appeared to them, how often he was with them, whether he came and went, if he spent the bulk of his time for those 40 days with them. We're not sure. But the reality of it is, for 40 days he spent, he spent with them in, in their presence teaching them. It's a new beginning. It's about the resurrection. He's teaching about the resurrection for 40 days. The, the, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And because Christ is resurrected, Satan has been defeated, death has been defeated, and, and sin has been defeated. Satan may be on the prowl for a season, but he will be forever cast into his house of horror, the lake of fire described in the scriptures. The resurrection defeated Satan's sin and death. The resurrection demonstrated that the kingdom belonged to the true king and Jesus was the true resurrected king. The resurrection demonstrated that, that, that he was the one who deserved this. The resurrection ushers in a new age. In the Old Testament, they looked ahead to the cross and the finished work of Christ and a sacrifice. Now we look back upon the work that Christ has done. So Old Testament looked ahead. New Testament times looked back. The resurrection has changed everything. The resurrection has conquered sin. The resurrection has conquered death. The resurrection has conquered Satan. The resurrection has ushered in a king and his kingdom. The resurrection has ushered in a new age. The resurrection changes everything. And so Jesus met with the disciples for 40 days. At the end of verse 3, it says he spoke to them concerning things of the kingdom of God. And so as they met, he explained to them that he was indeed alive and that he was the king and his kingdom was come. And he patiently waited for his disciples. He met with them for 40 days. 40 days is significant in the scripture for a number of reasons. We read about Moses gone to the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days. He's in the presence of God and receives the law. We read about Elijah after he defeated the prophets at Mount Carmel, going to Mount Horeb, and there he was in the presence of God for 40 days. We read about Jesus going out into the wilderness, and he's there for how long? Not a trick question. How long was Jesus in the wilderness? 40 days. Yeah, you catch on real quickly. I appreciate that. 40 days. The significance of 40 days. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and now the disciples, all in the presence of God, all being prepared to be launched into ministry. As I thought about that, I thought, well, most of us don't have 40 days to dedicate to go live in the wilderness or climb some mountain and wait to hear from God. In fact, most of us, we don't give God 40 minutes, much less 40 days. 40 minutes of time in the Word. 40 minutes of worshiping Him in His presence. 40 minutes of bowing before Him as our King. 40 minutes of honoring Him and glorifying Him. In fact, we get a little scratchy-throated and itchy and the seat gets a little too comfortable with 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. 
for 40 days in the presence of the king being prepared. It's really all about Jesus. If there's anything you're going to see in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, if you write in your Bibles, it says it's all about him. I want you to know, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. One of the problems in the church, especially in the West, where we are today, is that the spiritual life is all about us. I mean, we make it about us. Here's a sequel. In fact, I googled up uh, uh, greatest sequels to movies and uh, worst sequels to movies, the greatest sequels cinematically, and uh, box office-wise, supposedly, is Godfather 2. Made more money than the other sequel. The worst sequel was Rocky 135. <laughs> I don't know how many they had, but they were terrible. But, but here's the reality. In our day and age, we want the spiritual life to be about us. How does it benefit me? Uh, how does it make me happy? In fact, we have kind of reversed the Westminster Catechism. And, and the way we recite it today is the chief end of God is to glorify man so we might enjoy ourselves and be happy forever. I mean, that's really the mantra of the evangelical church today. It's all about us. It's all about us being happy. It's all about us receiving the benefits of the spiritual life when it's all supposed to be about him. There's a video that went viral the last two weeks in the evangelical world. It's a video of Victoria Osteen. It's an interesting video. I'm saying it's all about Jesus. I'm saying when we come to worship, it's to focus upon him, not to focus upon us. That that when we come, we come to obey God, not to come for ourselves. Watch this video. I think it teaches just the opposite. when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen. Let's open our hearts to him today. Father. I was waiting for lightning to strike. When you come to church, you don't really come for God. You come for yourself. Amen? That's awful. I'm going to tell you, that's awful. Be discerning when you listen to folks. Be discerning. I'm not saying everything they say is wrong, but here's the reality. That's wrong. That's wrong. We come to worship the risen Savior We come to worship our Heavenly Father. We come through the power of the Spirit to focus not upon us, but to give Him glory. Amen? Amen. And so that's what we want to be about. That's what we desire to be about. Well, if it's all about Jesus, where do we get the might to do this? The might, the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at verses 4 and 5, Jesus gathered his disciples and said, As the Father told you, you wait. John baptized with water. We're going to baptize with the Spirit. John's baptism was one of cleansing. My baptism is one of power. John's baptism was with water. My baptism will be with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit himself. The power source for the spiritual life is not your ability, it's not your knowledge, it's not your intellect, it's not even how much you know of the Word of God. It's the appropriation of the Spirit of God through the Word of God to accomplish things. 
There's a power outage in the spiritual life. Where's the power to live the spiritual life? Where's the power to defeat an addiction? The power to overcome anger? The power to forgive? The power to be restored from abuse? The power to overcome the past? The power to see those who've never heard of Jesus come to faith in Jesus? Where does that come from? It's very clear in the scriptures. It comes, you receive power, not when you have the right programs, not when you have the right buildings, not when you have enough money, not when you get enough education. You will have a power when the Spirit of God and the word power there is dunamis. We get the word dynamite. You will have dunamis. You will have power when the Spirit of God comes upon you. He tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem. The Spirit is coming. Now we're going to look at the day of Pentecost in a couple of weeks and talk about the power that comes through the Spirit. In the meantime, what we're saying, he's saying, you've got you've you've got to tie into the source of the power. Now when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when that happened in your life, a 200 pound Jewish Galilean didn't jump down your throat, but the Holy Spirit of God came to indwell you, came to fill you, came to baptize you, came to seal you. Those things happen. Those are some of the works of the Spirit of God. And so, as I said, Jesus departed so the Spirit might be imparted to every believer. If you trust Christ as Savior, Romans chapter 8 says the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. So at the moment of your salvation, you were dwelled and dwelt by the Spirit of God. And when you have the Spirit of God, you can appropriate the Spirit of God. A lot of power outages out there. And we try and do things in our own flesh and our own power. We have the greatest resource within us. The third person of the Trinity indwells your body. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and yet we do not depend upon the Spirit of God, rather our ability, our intellect, our own selves, rather than trusting the Spirit of God to fill us and dwell us and to conquer these things in our life. When you have it right there. FedEx made a commercial that was unveiled during a Super Bowl about six, seven years ago. It's a takeoff from the castaway. And really it's about having everything at your disposal and not using us. That's having the power of the Spirit of God within us and not using it. One more video. Watch this. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Uh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. Wow. He had it all right there in his hands and never opened the package. You've got the Spirit of God living within you. And you're trying to live a spiritual life in your own power. How can you do it? You can't. You can't. The Spirit of God indwells us. We allow the Spirit of God to to fill us and we allow the Spirit of God to control us. And through the control of the Holy Spirit, we're able to overcome sin in the past and everything happens. If you were with us at baptism last week, we baptized 29 people last Sunday night. You heard testimony after testimony after testimony of how Christ overcame sin, how Christ gave new life, how Christ, through the Spirit of God, how Christ transformed lives. The Spirit of God draws us. The Spirit of God fills us. The Spirit of God empowers us. And we're going to learn more about the Holy Spirit in weeks and days ahead.
where there's a mystery. We've got the message. We've got the, the might as the Spirit of God. He talks about a mystery, and the mystery is the kingdom. If you look at the end of verse 3, for 40 days, he was teaching about the kingdom. So the natural question would be, if you've taught us all about the kingdom, is it time for the kingdom to come now? And so if you look at verses 5 and 6, it's the question the disciples have. Or, or verses 4 and 5, rather. Uh, I'm sorry, 6 and 7. Well, Lord, is it now? Is it time now for the kingdom to be restored to Israel? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his authority. We've looked at this many times. Basically what we're saying is we're to focus upon the king and not the calendar. <clears throat> we focus upon him who is our king. We don't know when that's going to happen. Could this be the end time? Yes, it could be. Do we know for certain? No, we do not. Maybe, 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 maybe. And so that's the great mystery. When is this going to happen? When does he return? Then in verse 8, he gives us our mission. Gives us a mission. Acts 1.8 is a key verse of the book of Acts. If you write in your Bible, I would circle the verse number 8. I'd underline the entire verse because it gives us the mission of the church, what we are to be about. In the video, you heard a funny little statement that Acts 1.8 was given so every church could have a mission statement. Well, here it is. You shall receive power. So the power comes from the Spirit to be my witnesses. The power is the Spirit, the personnel, or those of us who believe. The purpose is to go out and be witnesses for Christ through our Jerusalem, where we are, the Judean Samaria, surrounding regions, the uttermost parts of the world. That's the whole globe. And so when you look at this, you see the power, the personnel, and the purpose. The power is the Spirit of God. The personnel, those of us who know Christ, we are to be witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who has seen something or experienced something. Seen something or experienced something. So if you're driving home and you're on the loop headed back to, 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 to your dorm or headed back to your apartment or your house or headed out to eat somewhere and there is a wreck in front of you and the police come, you pull over the side and, and he says, were there any witnesses? And you said, I was here, I saw it. That's basically what a witness is. Someone who sees something, someone who experiences something. Something. We are called to be those who relate to others what we have seen and what we've experienced. That's what a witness is. We complicate evangelism. We think we have to have, you know, like a Ph.D. from some seminary to be able to answer everybody's questions. And we feel like we have to have so much life experience and everything else. Evangelism is quite simple. Let me give you three steps to evangelism. You ready? Get your pens. These are the three steps to evangelism. Prayer, care, and share. That's it. Evangelism is quite simple. You're called to be a witness. Prayer, care, share. Prayer. You pray for those who don't know Jesus. You've got a ten most one of us. You've got folks that don't know the Savior. You've got a sweet mate. You've got a dorm mate. You've got somebody in the apartment next door, somebody whose kids play soccer with your kids. You've got people in your sphere of influence who don't know the Savior. You pray for them. Then you care for them. That is, you spend time with them, you minister to them. They go out of town, you pick up their mail, they, they, they get sick, you bring them a meal, they, they, they want to watch TV, you let them come to your house and watch TV, you care, you demonstrate love and care to them, and then you have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. You become witnesses. Now, Acts 1-8 is significant. One of the things Acts 1-8 does, it gives us an outline to the book of Acts. If you write in your Bibles once again, you draw a circle around Jerusalem. I've done this in my Bible. I've drawn a line out. I've put 1, 1 through 8, 3. Chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 8, verse 3, all take place in Jerusalem. 
And then Judea and Samaria is the regions around Jerusalem. And when we look at chapter 8, verse 4, all the way through 1225, it's going to refer to that region. All of that section, chapters 8 through 12, take place in Judea and Samaria. And then the focus in those early chapters on Peter, and then the focus changes to Paul. And when it changes to Paul, we go to the uttermost parts of the world through his three missionary journeys. And so we end up in the uttermost parts of the world. Let's talk about TBC for a second. If this is the purpose of the church, the church exists for mission. We are to be missional. I appreciated John's prayer uh, in between sets of music. He talked about our core values in his prayer. Uh, he spoke of that and talked about how we are to be living missional lives in community after we've personally surrendered ourselves to the Savior. So Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's right where we are. Our philosophy at TBC is twofold. We're going to do that two ways. First of all, we're going to equip you to reach your sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence is where you go to school. Your sphere of influence is your family. Your sphere of influence is your neighborhood. Your sphere of influence is the hobbies that you have, the people with you that, that do those things with you. That is your sphere of influence. You have been called by God to be a witness for Jesus in your Jerusalem. Are you? You're called to speak of him in your Jerusalem, do you? He has given you the privilege, the high privilege and the responsibility to be witnesses in Jerusalem. That's your privilege, that's your responsibility. You do it because Jesus is your Savior, because you love him, and you want lost people to know about him. So we, we're going to equip you to do that. There are numerous ways to be equipped. You heard in the video announcements that if you're not connected in our body, come next uh, Sunday at the 9.30 hour and then the evening at 6 o'clock, and we will help you get connected. We will help you get equipped. We will help you get trained. The second approach we take is that we have activities in our body that focus upon folks coming to know Jesus. You can bring friends to a worship service. That's an easy thing to do. It's an, it's an exciting time to be at TBC on Sunday mornings. It's an exciting time. When's the last time you brought somebody with you? They can see the bride of Christ in all of her beauty, worshiping a Savior, and that's attractive. And you can bring friends with you. You can bring family members with you. You can bring neighbors with you. You can bring dormitory friends with you to worship the Savior here at TBC as you reach out to your Jerusalem. We do things like impact in the summer. We do things like divorce care, grief share, alpha, all reaching our Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the surrounding areas, the rest of Bell County and the, the areas around us through our state. And we do numerous things. We're involved in numerous ministries in our community. We're, we're involved. We planted a church in Colleen seven years ago. There are about 700 folks in that church right now. It's our desire to reach the surrounding areas for Christ. We have Bible studies in Salado, Bible studies in Troy, Bible studies in Rogers, Bible studies, and we need more in all these surrounding communities. Many of you come from those communities. If there's not one there, it's your privilege and your responsibility to make sure that there's a witness for Jesus in those communities. What about in your street? What about among your friends? And there's Judea and Samaria. Then there's the uttermost parts of the world. TBC, we believe in global missions. We have, uh, I think, 32 family units in 19 different nations serving the Savior. Every single dime that comes into our general fund, we scoop 20% off of the top and we give to missions, global outreach. 20% right off the top. 
And not only do we do that, but we ask you at times to sponsor a pastor in a foreign country who can't afford to go to a pastor's conference or to send a kid to camp who can't afford to go to camp in the Ukraine. And we also have numerous short-term teams that go, and you give to that. When you combine our 20% and all the rest, about a million dollars a year comes out of TBC towards missions. That's amazing. To God be the glory, great things he's done. And so through you, many people come to know Christ in places like Rwanda and the Ukraine and Tanzania and Malaysia and Indonesia and places where we have a witness for the Savior through your praying, through your giving, and through your going. So when I look at the introduction to Acts, well, one other event takes place, the ascension. The ascension is a promise and a push. The promise is just as you see Jesus going up, he's going to come back that way at the same place. And the push is, guys, why are you standing here? I mean, these two guys appear in white, I'm assuming they're angels, and they said, uh, it's time to go. Now, we read, about the resur- we read about the ascension, and here's what we do. <sighs> time for lunch. Hey, if one of you guys right now got lifted out of your seat and went through that ceiling and took off, it would change this worship service immensely. Would you agree with that? You've got 11 guys standing on a hilltop. Jesus is with them. He's blessing them. Luke says that in the end of his gospel. You go to Luke chapter 28. He's blessing them. And all of a sudden, this cloud comes and he's gone. What would you do? Hey, Peter, let's go grab lunch. Hey, John, let's go fishing. You would be doing what they're doing. They're gawking. They're standing and saying, what was that? Did you see that? And so the two angels come along and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here? Because he's going to come back the way he went. The baton is being passed. Now go. Go and wait. Go and wait for the Spirit to come. The ascension of Christ is the affirmation of the Father once again. He's affirmed at his birth. We've got this heavenly chorus sing about him. He's affirmed at his baptism. We've got the Spirit coming like a dove and the Father speaking, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And now through the ascension, he's affirmed once again because he sits at the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the ancient Near East was the position of honor. He sits at the right hand of the Father, a position of honor, affirmed by the Father through his birth, through his baptism, and now at his ascension. So when I look at this introduction to Acts, I believe it's a mandate given to us. It's a mandate from the resurrected Savior that we are to be on mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the introduction to Acts. It's going to take us about uh, nine months to unfold what the video did in three minutes. And it took me 40 minutes to explain 11 verses when it went through 28 chapters. So we are slow teachers up here. But it's my prayer that the gospel will go forth in might and power from your life as a result of going through Acts together. It's a mandate. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility from the resurrected Savior be on mission through the power of the Spirit of God. Those of you who have been around TBC a long time know that I have a uh, fascination with the Titanic. I've got a fascination with history, period. I just finished a book called Escape from Auschwitz, great book, Joel Rosenberg. Titanic went down in April of uh, 1912, was it, or 14, 1912, 1914. 
thousand plus people killed, 300 foot gash along the side of the boat. And what this shows are the lifeboats. There were 20 lifeboats that were launched in the Titanic. There were more there, but people didn't believe it was sinking, so they didn't launch the boats. 20 lifeboats were launched. Most of the lifeboats that were launched were less than half filled. Some of them were two-thirds filled, most of them less than half filled. In reading on the Titanic, here's one statement. I quote from one of the survivors in the lifeboat, I saw all the horror of the ship sinking. I heard even more dreadful the cries of the people in the water who were drowning, but we couldn't go back. Twenty boats in the water. You know how many went back to rescue people? One. Lifeboat number 14. You see, when you begin interviewing folks that were in the lifeboats, most of them were so concerned that if they went back to all the screaming they heard in the water, lost people knowing they were drowning, people in the water screaming for mercy, they knew if they went back, they would be swamped by lost people yanking on the boats wanting to be rescued. We live in a world surrounded by people screaming for mercy, lost, sinking, but not many people go back. It's a mandate from the resurrected Savior to be filled with the power of the Spirit, to share the good news of the gospel with the folks in your Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, that there is a lifeboat. His name is Jesus. And he can rescue you eternally. Amen? Thank you, Father. Thank you for a Savior who came and not only died, but was resurrected so that we might be resurrected also. And so, Lord Jesus, we offer you praise. Father, we offer you honor. We offer you thanksgiving. It is about you. It's not about us. We thank you for the privilege of sharing as witnesses what we have seen and what we have experienced. If you're here today, not sure if you know the Savior yet, I pray you'll continue to investigate who he is or maybe even right now accept him for what he's done. Some of us have not been witnesses the way that we should have. We've, been, we've lived lives that don't point to the Savior. Or maybe we've lived for the Savior but don't tell us of him. Did you make this morning a day of confession, cleansing and renewal before that loving Savior? We pray in your name. Amen. Bless you.